sorry, I'm really retarded. I apologize. <laughs> um, I trapped you in this conversation, but it will it will only last one hour, I promise. Okay. Oh, no. That's totally fine. I'm excited to be here. Um, Truth Enjoyer. I, I like calling you Truth Enjoyer. Um, or should I call you Cassandra? Cassandra? <laughs> what should I call you? Call me Cassandra, Truth Enjoyer, whatever you want. <laughs> Truth Enjoyer. I like normalizing the weirdest like name possible in everyday speech, but um I'll use Cassandra only if you're like really misbehaved. I'll use that as like your full name, maybe. I don't know. Full <laughs> Twitter name, yeah. <laughs> um, welcome to um, Here Comes the Backlash. I really hate pretense and all the like, I don't know, stuff that you have to do for podcasting or whatever. So like, um, I try to skip it, but I, I'm told I have to lean into it by like my agent or whatever and stuff. So like, I guess I'm um, welcome to Here Comes the Backlash. I'm Pool House. Thank you for joining me, Truth Enjoyer. Um, to be here so nice to see you and hear from you and I am I do have like a thing now like I had Basil here last week and he um I just kind of accidentally interrogated him about 9-11 and his whereabouts and connections and I think I'm just gonna do that every time so where were you on 9-11 where was I on 9-11 um I was in fourth grade I was in class and I remember going home and it was like on TV. And that's kind of all I remember. <laughs> no, you weren't at any flight schools, no connections to any hijackers. You're clean. Um, yeah, I, I, I would. That's the, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Perfect. That's all I needed to know. Thank you. Next, <laughs> next question. Um, I have a, actually wrote out questions. I'm actually really excited to have you here. Um, I know I'm kind of obsessed with you. I actually maybe started a whole podcast just to have you here in this moment. <laughs> Um, I really want to know about Niles Crane, because I think that's the first thing that, like, caught my fancy, I guess, if you say. Like, what's with Niles Crane, your your default photo? So I just love that photo. Like, I, I like Frasier, and I've seen, I've watched it all the way through, like, once, but I was never, like, a Frasier super fan. Like, I love it. It's a good show, but it, that's not, like, why I picked that as my Twitter PFP. It was just, I just felt like in that picture, Niles is sitting there, and he's got, like, the champagne or whatever in one hand or wine or whatever it is and then he's got like the parakeet on the other and he's just looking disheveled and he's confused and that's (laughs) how I always felt every time I logged on to Twitter I was like this is just how I feel reading everyone's tweets and so I felt like that was like the perfect Abby and I've never changed it I feel like if you have an avatar on Twitter you should just keep it because whenever anyone changes theirs I'm like who are they now like I forget So I agree. I agree. You're, you know what? There's a bird in there. I didn't think of that, but it's perfect for Twitter, like as well. I love oh my god, that. I didn't make that connection either. And I'm the, supposed to be like the English major here. Well, I'm reading <laughs> into the the, the semiotic. I don't know if that's actually a thing, but we're gonna go with it. Um, and like so you're not like a diehard Fraser head, but it is an iconic photo. It would be weird if you were a Fraser head, actually. That would be that would feel a little off brand for anybody. <laughs> like it just seems yeah. like a strange thing. Like, I love Frasier, but yeah, like, I'm not, like, some big super fan. But it's funny because since I have, like, the Niles PFP, sometimes people on Twitter will think that I'm a man, even though, like, Mm -hmm. my name is Cassandra on there. And, like, I feel like if you actually read my tweets, it's really obvious that I'm a woman. But people will call me he sometimes, and I'm like, stop misgendering. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, don't misgender people. Like, gosh, it's rude. I guess you could be read as kind of a gay man, maybe. Like, I could see that. Maybe I thought that 
briefly for a flickering second perhaps i don't know at one time i don't know i don't know when you like i can't remember when you like burst onto the my radar my scene but like it's That's just so weird right like i same like i don't remember when you followed me i don't remember when most of my mutuals followed me so i'm like we could have been following each other for like two months or two years and i'm like i don't know <laughs> well, i have a whole theory that there's like an emergent like psychic network of people who are like a constellation and we're all like meant to kind of it's like lost i kind of feel like we're the people from lost but we don't have to go on that flight like we're not going to take the plane we're going to stay here and we're going to like just do the rest of it without like that part and so like i guess it's like a mission i feel like i have to like just i'm hunting i'm looking and i definitely feel like if there is such a mysterious network you're a part of it do you do you you're, i totally agree like i am like a big like believer of like past life karmic links or people being like karmically connected or destined to find yeah. each other and i definitely do as cringe as it sounds and as like horrible as twitter can be and like obviously like it's a force for evil in many ways and it also like breaks your brain and it's definitely <laughs> giving me like adhd but i do feel like it's like part of my destiny was to like join Twitter and meet all these people because otherwise like oh sorry I'm like getting text messages but yeah like I would have like never found all of these people that like I connect with on such a level and like in my normal day-to-day lives I was not having any of these conversations so I just felt super alone super alienated and it's been a huge blessing to be able to connect with like you and everyone else on on there. Preach oh my gosh same 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 tell me about like when was your when did you realize like things were not right in the world, like in like in COVID world, probably I'm guessing, but like, when did, when was that like a um, creeping moment for you? COVID was like, so I was saying this uh, last week on thoughts and prayers. Um, mm-hmm. COVID was like my final red pill. So like, I definitely was like leading up to it for a while, but wasn't fully there. And I was still kind of like more on the live end of the spectrum. I would say like, I wasn't like prior to COVID, I was already like anti-woke and I was kind of fed up with a lot of stuff, but I didn't really see how deep like the psyop went until COVID. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the one big thing, like as um as Basil calls it, yes, like it's all connected, right? Oof. It's um, all one thing. And yeah, like I not to go into too much detail on this, because like I did on the podcast last week and like know. I assume some of my followers listened. I don't know. But no, um, there's no way. Uh, uh, but like initially I want to say like my first red pill was probably like rad femme stuff I used to be a radical feminist this was like years ago and so like gender and like gender identity type stuff um for me it was kind of like when I first got into feminism it was like before the word like turf even existed so I was just like you know I'm believing in this like branch of feminism and you believe in this other branch of feminism and there wasn't like a ton of infighting the way that there is now and then I want to say it might have been like 2015 or so is like when the word turf hit the mainstream then there was like all this weird polarization in feminism then identity politics then obviously like with Trump that escalated even more but I at that point I was kind of like a dirtbag leftist and I was kind of like I'm gonna take the grill pill yeah And um, it took like COVID to kind of like wake me up and make me realize like, okay, the grill pill actually isn't an option. Like you need to pick a side, you know? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. And it's kind of cope, I guess, or whatever. Um, You know, yeah. Thank you for touching on that. I started to listen to the episode today, actually, because I was, I was like, okay, I will only just say this about, I love thoughts and prayers. And I think it's so crazy because I like, um, 
reached out to you really randomly like i randomly am like a random person everything about it is like random and it was just like very synchronous i guess that um they also reached out to you i feel like around the same yeah, time you guys literally reached out to me like the same day or it might have been like 24 hours apart it's fucking <laughs> crazy and so just affirm for me it was like really affirming i was like okay the mission is real like i will um continue to be like mandated by the heavens it's fucking weird but whatever like what are you gonna do like you you know you don't get to choose like not to be called i guess or i don't know there's probably a really wise saying you're the lit major you can pull some kind of destiny quote for oh me my god i'm like so bad though like i i was saying or I, i'm not sure if i said it to them on the pod or if it was like beforehand but that was my first podcast ever so this is my second podcast ever so i'm still like very green and i feel like as a writer like Twitter is a good medium for me because I can like do these like pithy tweets and kind of wordsmith them and like whatever. Whereas I don't feel like I'm as articulate when I talk. And I feel like, you know, sometimes during like a conversation, I'm like, oh, like that quote is on the tip of my tongue and I can't find it. Whereas like on Twitter, it's like, I can just Google it. <laughs> I relate very much. This is like, we're very, uh, it's very underground. This is kind of the um, alternative uh, edgy. I feel like thoughts and prayers are very slick and together. This is a more um, indie label version, I feel like, of that or like Rockets version. Um, like if you ever saw, like it's by, like, this is all an extension of a zine I started like a long time ago. And if you saw it, it's hideous. It is not like, people make zines now and they're like gl basically glossy magazines. This was like the jankiest cut and paste ever. Um, oh, I love that though. I'm like super into the whole like you know, not necessarily ideology wise, but like the whole DIY, like riot girl, just like aesthetic. Totally. Like, and yeah, they, the ideology, it, it served a purpose. It got some people to where they need to get, but people just got stuck there. I feel like they, everyone's stuck in the nineties and like, it's anyway, um, it's, it's a whole thing. Um, I wrote this book a couple of years ago about like the riot girl revolution and like the DIY culture of like the Pacific Northwest in the early nineties. Huh? Obviously they still had a lot of like infighting back then and like identity politics to some extent, but even reading that, I was like, I feel like I would get along with a lot of these people in a way that now it's just so polarized that it makes it difficult to even connect with people on like a deep level. It's gross. It's like everyone's like, it's disgusting. Um, and it's funny because I feel the same. And I like, do you like oral histories? Like I've read like an oral history of like Seattle scene. I've read every, every oral history like ever, I feel like. But um, yeah, it's just like, I love like to study how like, um, something happens even if there's some inorganic moments they don't talk about like I feel like there's always these infiltrators and weird like funding and strange operations going on in a lot of these movements and scenes but like at the same time it's just interesting how people like coalesce I guess I'm interested in like self-organizing systems I guess in that way you know Damn. and like looking back and kind of seeing how the dots all connected and how things got to the point that they are like there there's always like a seed these little seed moments and mm -hmm. here we no. <laughs> it is, it's kind of, it's, you know, it's very literary, I guess, because it's a way of like, they're framing reality, but reality does work like that. Sometimes reality is a story. Like it, everything is just the way you like, I guess, like organize it in your thoughts or whatever. And it's such a shame because like, I don't know about you, but I assume if you've like been reading about these scenes, I assume you're also into like that kind of DIY, like music and art and all of that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like it just, I, I love all of that stuff. So it just kind of sucks now that those scenes have become so political, like in our current day, like I hardly go to shows anymore. Oh, I, I am so glad. I'm like way too old to do any of that. And I'm so fucking glad because I read it like these masks. I, I actually saw this girl um, and her boyfriend like on the street like a couple months ago and she was super like punk rock and she had like a stud jacket and like she just had everything and it was so annoying and she had a fucking mask on and a t-shirt that said question authority. And I was like, are you serious? <laughs> I was like, 
it, it felt like a cartoon. I was like, why is everything so, uh, nothing can be funny anymore because everything's retarded. It really is like, oh, so, on the nose. <laughs> I don't know, it was too, exactly. It was like, this isn't even a good tweet because it's like retarded. It's just like, why are you really? You know that uh, meme that's like, you know, like the seventies hippies or whatever. And they're like question like pharma and the government. And then like the current day one, like, I think it was like a seventies, like Volkswagen and like van or whatever. And it had like all these anti-war like messages. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, you know, CDC and like Fauci and like support Ukraine and like all of this. Mm -hmm. And I showed it to my dad who like, cause I feel like memes are a good, like if they're not too like weird, if they're like straightforward boomery memes like that, like I feel like he'll get them. And he's like, a moderate he's he's more democrat than anything and he like definitely has tds and like so that's like been an issue but like i showed him that and he was like oh my god that's spot on so i'm like okay (laughs) it's so interesting because you're right they can see it when you do it safely like if it doesn't evoke uh certain topics or things like they can I know they can see it. It's very interesting because I relate. I have a lot of um, older relatives that are like my parents and my in-laws that are like MSNBC heads they're they are what Fox News was like supposedly and is like they're both the same thing, you know, and it's hard to deal with. Yeah, my dad watches MSNBC too. And I don't know if you saw I tweeted about it. But when I was home for Christmas, MSNBC was still doing all like the January 6th. Stuff. Oh, yeah, totally same. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and like obsessed with it. And he was literally like, like he was in the other room and I could hear the TV blaring and he was like cheering. He like literally got up and clapped when someone said something. I was like, oh my God. My mother-in-law like yelled at a reporter for asking a question during like, it was during the press conference about, I think the documents when they first got found. I was at my in-laws and they were like whipped into a frenzy by J6 coverage. And I was like, what is going on? And it's, it's frustrating because it's, it's leveraging people's like best instincts and characteristics against themselves to be like locked into these stupid narratives. And it's, it's just painful. Cause it's like, you look like the bad guy for trying to get them out of it because it's like, you're against this good thing. I don't know. It's really, it's. Yeah. <laughs> I've dealt with that with like all of my friends and like to the point where I just kind of keep my mouth shut because I I'm just like, well, I'm not going to break, I'm not going to be the one to break this conditioning. And if they're going to get out of it, like, I mean, I try to drop little breadcrumbs and I make sure that when I do, I'm not saying dog whistle things and I'm not saying anything super controversial, mm-hmm. but like, it sucks to see. And I've, I've tweeted about this too. So I'm sorry that I keep like paraphrasing. Like, my no, it's fine. no, no, no. But um, like, it's just so sad because most of my very liberal friends who are super swept up in whether it's like COVID or climate or like race discourse or all of that they are all like very nice people, but a lot of them are just like people pleasers and they really, really want to do the right thing. And I have seen some of them get like really guilt racked and like upset because they feel like they're like, it's impossible to do the right thing. Like they see these Instagram infographics and nobody can do that. Like no human being can like tick all of these boxes. And then they feel guilty because they're not doing the right thing. And therefore they're being like oppressive somehow. And I literally have friends who have had like panic attacks over this stuff like I know that that sounds hyperbolic but it's like literally true like I have a friend who has such bad climate anxiety that she has panic attacks I that's really that's very painful I think my mom is starting to kind of she's showing signs of this disorder also to be honest where it's like 
fatalistic. It's really weird. Or she's like very uh, doom and gloom. And like, I'm like, gosh, like um, it's internalized in this weird way. So I, I know what you mean. And you're right. There's no way anyone can live up. No human can live up to those standards. They don't even put faces in the infographics. They can't even put a face. It's like these weird faceless creatures that are like yes. in the infographics. They're not even real people because they're not real ideals. Like you cannot. I speak. honestly think that like the goal of it is to demoralize people and make them feel yeah. like they can't do anything. So then like they kind of just like, like they're, they're a bit like buck broken by the media. And so uh-huh. like, you know, they feel powerless. They really want to do the right thing and they can't. And so like the end game is to kind of just like surrender and outsource your critical thinking to experts because that's safer. And it's like, uh-huh. that's really sad. And at the end of the day, like not to like go off on a tangent, but like, I don't think that people should have to critically think about this stuff all the time. Like people have their lives to live. They have to like take care of their kids, families, like whatever. People shouldn't have to do their own research all the time. But then like with these experts who like clearly don't have their best interests at heart, at least from a mental health standpoint, then it's like, where does that leave you? That's, I don't know, you're, you're absolutely right. You are so right. And I just, I don't know, it's really painful to think about. I, um, I, you're right, because they don't have their, they shouldn't have to do all this, but they do. Be, there shouldn't be the disconnect that there is, I guess. Like in the normal world, I feel like even up until like 2013, maybe like 15, till Trump derangement, maybe, like the media like embellished, there was a narrative and stuff, but it wasn't like, the disconnect and then now and it's gotten crazier and crazier and it's like for me like when I started really realize how like they were lying like just straight up lying about everything with COVID it was like oh you get like that twilight zone like the room is like kind of spinning moment like over and over again and it's just like the whole never ends and it's just like so I feel I don't feel bad for people for avoiding it or not wanting to believe what's going on because it's pretty horrific to think about yeah and like you look like once you do get kind of red pilled you look back on all the other stuff that you kind of overlooked before and you're like oh my god this goes so deep and it reminds me of like that quote from like the second coming where it's like you know the things fall apart the center cannot hold or I think um is that like slouching toward Bethlehem like yeah 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 I mean, yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. And it like, I think that that is like, like yes. not to be like a super basic, like lit bro, but like, yeah, I think that that's just so true. Like there is no center anymore. And so like before, like 10 years ago, seven years ago, even like, I think a lot more people used to be apolitical and moderate and not to say that people are super political now. Like a lot of people still don't really pay attention and they kind of just regurgitate what they see on like social media, but like, I feel like more people used to be moderate or centrist and now it's kind of like you're us or mm-hmm. them. And it's like this super polarized, it's, I don't know. It's just like, and it makes all discourse. If you are on one side and your friends are on the other and you don't want to fight with them, it means that the things that you have to talk about with your friends, you have such a limited breath. Like it's like, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. with, with a lot of my liberal friends, I feel like I have just had to lean into this very superficial posture with them and like talk about like, boys or like (laughs) or like you know like really dumb shit whereas like I want to talk about deep shit but once you talk about deep shit like you might accidentally touch on a topic that is the dog whistle yes and you it's like impossible with like coworkers because the HR of everything it's like oh we can't you can't there's all these third rails it's hard with like even friends and family you're absolutely right and it's um it's not very much left like what Netflix I don't watch TV like that you know like 
Yeah. Like with my coworkers, it's the exact same thing. Like I've been working at my company for over a year and like my coworkers know nothing about me. Cause it's just kind of like, ha So like, how's the weather? <laughs> I feel like that's what, I don't know. It's really sad. Cause I feel like it's part of that same buck brokenness of everything where it's like, even people used to like love it or hate it. Like corporate culture was a place people did build like relationships and like relationships are driving everything in like, in all of that. And it's like all of that, so much is like distributed now and it's like remote and it's not like, no, there's no teams. Like when everyone's remote, like, it's just like, I don't know in a real world, I feel like it's so much easier to get over those barriers when everybody's together. It's still harder in an office, but like, I feel like there's a lot, a large, I, I don't know if you're even like remote or in an office, but like, in my yeah, field, I have a like, fake remote job. <laughs> I, like, I, I, okay. It's a whole story, but yes, insane. And I like scored it the last possible second before it all went away, but, but then I've gotten vaccinated over it. So was it worth it? I, to ask me in five Wait, years. So you had to get vaccinated for a remote job. Okay. Well, no. So it <laughs> I had the physical job. Okay. Well, I, sh- I don't know how much I should say. Well, I'll just say this. I had a facilities type job, right? At a company where I pivoted to a fancy job, like kind of like spectacularly, but it was over the course of the pandemic and I had this opportunity, but they went to like reopen like in the spring of 21. And it was just like, this is what's happening. And it, I'd been remote for a year as like this facilities person. Right. So it's like, Hey, free freebie year, right? Like nothing to do really, but like used it to my advantage. It was on this like trajectory, but then it was like, do you, it was like fucking sort of goddamn Damocles. Do you take the path of like, you're on the trajectory to the fancy remote, like, you know, techie world thing, but you have to do this last thing first, which is like reopen this place, but you have to get this like thing horrible choice like I don't know if I'm yeah. still if I'm, no I feel for you yeah. like so many people were put in that position and it's just like so fundamentally unethical I'm really sorry that you had to deal with that I appreciate that I was cowardly though in a way because I thought I could like have it both ways by going like I got so duped and it was like so dumb I took this stupid like Johnson and Johnson which was like sold to me as like the traditional one but that was a fucking lie everything right, it's such a lie my doctor did that to me too like not to interject but like with the J&J thing like I that's just such a scam and I'm like do the doctors know that they're lying or are they stupid too because I genuinely think my doctor is just like stupid because I went in there I only went for like a physical because I just was like okay I moved to the city I need like I I moved here last year and I needed to like get set up. So I went in there and this was in like June, 2022. So at this point it's like COVID's over. Like, you know what I mean? Like everyone and their mother has had COVID multiple times. I mean, I've only had it once cause I'm not vaccinated, but like all these vaccinated people have had it a million times. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. And I went in there and like, obviously it's like at that point, everyone knows that it's like basically just a cold, like it's the Omicron, whatever. And so I went in there and I like, we went through the whole physical and she didn't ask about it. So I was kind of like relieved and I live in Florida. So it's like, you know, a lot of people aren't vaxxed here anyway. Illegal to ask. (laughs) Yeah. She like asked at the last second, she was like, oh, are you like vaccinated? And I was like, uh, for what? (laughs) And she was like, you know, because I'm vaccinated for other things. Right, exactly. It's a weird thing to ask. Yeah. And then she was like, oh, like for COVID. And I was like, oh, no. And I was like, I've already had COVID, so I'm not really worried about it. And then she was like, okay. And she was like, obviously thinking because I'm like at, at that time, a 29-year-old woman, she was like, oh, like was the reason that you didn't get it because you have fertility concerns because the Johnson & Johnson one is not an mRNA vaccine. And I'm like, what does that have to do with anything? Oh my God. <laughs> so she tacitly admitted that oh, the one that she was kind of recommending in the first place might have given you fertility damage had you gone <laughs> with it. That's psychotic. That woman should be in jail. I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry. Like, that's crazy. That's crazy. I, yeah. And I was just kind of like, okay. And then like, we just didn't speak of it again. 
I think my doctor, one of my doctors dropped me because I lied about getting vaccinated. I think she went to go fill out her form to get like compensation for it. I, like, I don't know if this is true. This is totally conjecture, but I think like it was like a few days after I lied or like like five days she was just like oh, I'm not gonna be a, like I don't know she was like, I'm not gonna be with you I forget what it was it was like should we part ways and I was like that's really weird Dr. Kendra and then it was like well, I shouldn't probably say whatever fuck that bitch she fucking ghosted me and she sent a letter it's not ghosting but still I think she was being uh like compensated I I don't know is that crazy to think no, I don't think it's crazy at all. I've heard that doctors are compensated for this kind of thing. And I have definitely, so I have like chronic stomach issues, like just like whatever, not to get into like too much gross oh, detail. Fine, my yeah. is, but, that, uh, is it like that related? Like autoimmune? Sorry, what was that? Is it auto, like um, autoimmune related? No, I, it's not autoimmune. It's just kind of so like when I was um, in high school, I had like an eating disorder and I was also on birth control and um, antibiotics for acne. And all of this like was like pushed on me when I was like 14 years old and I didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, this will help with your acne, like the birth control and whatever. And I think that my microbiome just got like fucked from like all of those mm-hmm. things kind of coalescing. And so ever since I've just had like digestive problems. And so um, I was like seeing a gastroenterologist when I lived up in the Northeast and, um, she was like a good enough doctor, like, you know, like as far as doctors go, she was like better than most that I've been to, but she was totally in bed with pharma. And every time I was there, she would push pills on me. She would give me samples of drugs and they like, you know, they would be like expensive, like various drugs that I definitely didn't need. And I would never take them, but she would push them on me every single time. And you know, that most people would kind of just be like, okay, cool. Here's a pill. Maybe it will solve my problems. Psycho. Was it anything fun ever? Like, <laughs> oh, no, like, I mean, they, the, the, I think the most like painkillery thing that she tried to push on me was like gabapentin, but that was generic. So like, and yeah. I didn't take that either, but no, like it was all just kind of like digestive related stuff. That, that does make sense. And um, they make so much money from like Crohn's disease and stuff. So like yeah. the thing that I have is mostly managed through diet and like lifestyle Whereas Crohn's disease is like, you know, usually managed with like pharmaceuticals. And so that's another fucked up thing is like the thing that I have basically gets no research money. And the few doctors that do research it are often saying like, like they're, they're like, what the fuck? Like, why do we have no funding? And like, we can't do this work. And therefore doctors don't even know that this condition exists and blah, 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 because Crohn's and colitis get all the money because they make a lot of money for pharma. That they created probably through their own interventions. Cause I I don't know, plague of corruption. I don't know if you know Judy Bikovitz. I'm obsessed with her. She's this crazy doctor who was in the movie Plandemic. Like I know she's a real whistleblower. She's a real scientist and she, but she's batshit crazy also. And she uh her whole thing is like plague of corruption, which is like all of the shit is just happening over and over because they keep fucking people up and then they like create more problems. In her sense, the vaccine, like she discovered XMRV, it's like a virus that like might be in every like all the blood supply, every like vaccine ever, because they grow these things like animal cell lines, like in the like labs, and they just like stay there from the 60s. And they just like are going to these like samples and pulling things and growing new like cell lines. It's gross. And when you start to realize that's how it's done. It's like, oh yeah, I could see how like that could cause some problems, I guess. I don't know. Like, so her whole thing is it's like a cyclical like cover-up essentially. And it does sound like that for like Crohn's disease. It's like, are they really trying to solve it? Or are they just trying to continue to like- No, I totally agree. Like, I feel like it's like pills to counteract the pills. And mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I was like talking to a friend of mine at one point who was saying that he had like erectile dysfunction from like the age of like 
20 because he had been put on SSRIs as a teenager and so it like fucked him up and he was never told that that was like a side effect. So he was pushed on it like literally as like essentially a kid. And so then he had that and then he had to start taking Viagra literally at age 20 because he was like, well, I want to have sex. And like, obviously that's just one example, but it's like, there are so many things out there where it's like, okay, so like it might help with this one thing, but then it gives you these other symptoms. Then you have to take another pill and then, and it's just like this vicious cycle. It's, it's crazy. I don't know. Like I could, uh, I could go on against big pharma all day. And it's really crazy though. I will say this, that it's like, that was a normal, normal leftist thing. Like that was like the baseline was like going against big pharma. Like if you're going to stand against a corporation and you were like on the, the left, even as a liberal or progressive, like that was easy. And now it's like St. Pfizer. Like when people started doing their like house of Pfizer, like house of Moderna, like getting tattoos, like people are obsessed with it. Oh my God. I know. Like, like- literally like everyone I was in a very lib social circle in city at that time and like literally people would just randomly be like so did you get Pfizer or Moderna and there would be like they wouldn't even like they would just assume that you definitely got one of them like there wouldn't it it was not even in consideration that maybe you have a different opinion or that you didn't get it and it's like first of all it used to be really rude to ask people who they voted for or what medications they're on. So like, why are you asking me this invasive personal question? And also like the thing that like libs do about all of this is they assume because they think because of the polarization of the narrative and because they're not actually engaging with primary sources and it's just a huge game of like telephone, they just assume that if someone disagrees with them, then that person must be this like caricature of like an evil boogeyman essentially. And so because like, if they know me or you or whoever they're talking to and they know that like, oh, well, we're a nice person and like we're friends and stuff, they just like, they can't fathom that I would, I would have the other opinion because I'm not an evil boogeyman. So therefore I must be a lib. you are you are you're dead on i will just i will say this i can uh like just the implicitness of like or the like kind of like implicit you're one of us kind of mentality is so that's been true for so long or it's just like with well in like liberal cities anyway like i've lived in the bay area my whole life like i remember like i remember i don't remember like people just fighting over obama and hillary clinton in the primaries and just like be like which side are you on and like it's just assuming that you were going to vote for one of the two of them which i was not at the time i was like ridiculous like retarded republican and so i was like because i just i am a reactionary like just i went i went to uc santa cruz it really like it well, maybe it was reactionary before, but that really like. Oh my god, to- I'm so curious about your journey then, because I feel like most people who are kind of on our side of Twitter were like sort of nominally centrist or left before, but like so, you were always a Republican. Like yeah, but Cal- I always qualified it as like California Republican, so it was kind of like it was sort of like fake a little bit. No, I, I used to say conservatarian that I started that. I didn't start that. <laughs> I called myself that and other people started doing that shortly after, but I feel like, um, I, I'm kind of an a underground influencer. It's, it's true. It's unfortunate. No compensation, no glory, but you get to like know it for yourself. But you get the mandate of heaven. So but you get mandate of heavens. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Um, no, but I think I like, like, fluctuated though i can see a lot of I, i'm an enneagram nine i'll tell you this so i can see like a lot of oh God, i'm a four and i feel like fours and nines get along i have a lot of nine friends mm. wait are you sagittarius i'm a leo oh okay. but i'm a sagittarius rising oh interesting i am a leo moon 
Okay. Anyway, that's um, later. <laughs> that out later. I guess, like, um, yeah, I just I was like a Bernie supporter though, because I always thought like Bernie was like I didn't like him in 2016 because I didn't think he was viable. Um, I did for Trump in 2016, like, because it was just funny to me. Like, I don't know, it was just funny. <laughs> If nothing else, like, so in 2016, I was still, like, kind of a libtard. Like, I, like, believed everything about, like, the whole narrative and stuff back then. Mm -hmm. Um, Other than, like, you know, like, obviously, there were, like, certain things with, like, Paul and, like, the gender stuff that I was kind of starting to be, like, fed up or I, like, I never was on board with. But I was still, like, kind of libtarded about politics in general. So I, like, I always respect people who say that they kind of saw that all along with the whole Trump thing because I didn't. Um, but I will say Trump was always a phenomenal poster just as like a Twitter user. I'm like, okay, he's like the goat of Twitter. So true. It's so true. I, uh, and it's sad because I feel like all the Trump derangement syndrome clouded people's ability to appreciate that naturally. I think he would have come to those conclusions had there not been a massive propaganda storm, like deluding everybody into thinking it was the worst thing to first of all worst thing that could ever happen but that it would never ever happen that was a real that was a real time (laughs) Um, i was living in the uk at the time and um that was around yeah brexit was like right around the same time i want to say brexit happened like a few months before trump like i think brexit was like in the spring and then trump was obviously like in november and so once brexit happened for me the writing was kind of on the wall and i kind of thought like Trump might happen. Whereas a lot of people were like, it's never going to happen. But I did not expect Brexit either because the media there was all acting like, you know, only chuds would vote for that. And in the UK, there are like, quote unquote, like less chuds, like and for lack of a better term, like a lot more people there are liberal or like centrist. And I feel like in the US, we have like way more polarization. So it's like, we'll get people who are way more like foaming at the mouth liberal than you get in the UK, but then you also get a lot more dissidents. And not to say that dissidents don't exist in the UK. Obviously they do and Brexit happened, but like, Mm. it's just like, I feel like there, it's just like a lot tamer, the discourse. So I just kind of assumed like everything's going to be the status quo. And it was like shocking Mm. to me when it actually happened. Mm. I wonder if it's like a little bit similar to here with maybe vaccine and, and the, like the trans stuff, like there's like this uh, silent kind of majority, or it's like, and not majority, but this like kind of silent middle that is afraid to speak up. Cause I feel like that exists. There's like, I think more people who agree with us than um, don't, but there's a very vocal minority that like love to go to HR at the second anything goes wrong, the HR of whatever, HR of work, HR of society, like whatever. Yeah. It's so annoying. And like, I don't know, like, do you feel that too? For sure. And I think that like part of the problem is like, I think a lot of that like vast middle does like kind of recognize that something's not right. And they don't want all of this like uber wokeness or whatever you want to call it, but they don't really pick up on what's actually happening until it's already happened. So like, you know, people like us who are like terminally online or like aware (laughs) of it or have been exposed to the left for whatever reason, you know, like with me, like I was always in like art scenes and stuff. So I was like constantly being like exposed to the stuff before it hit the mainstream. But I would try to bring it up to people like, for example, my dad, who is like, like I said, a sort of Democrat leaning, but definitely a moderate. And he would kind of just be like, oh, like, you know, like kind of dismiss it as like, oh, that's just silly, like millennial stuff. And it's like, no, this is coming and it's happening. <laughs> like, It's so it's I don't know. It's it's hard. Oh, my God. Do you are Cassandra? Oh, my God. I was going to ask you about this. But like, do you feel like do you feel like an, an oracular prophetess? Do you feel like an unheard divinator of like the truth? Like you you are a truth enjoyer. But do you feel like you're a truth spreader? 
I don't know. Unpack. Yeah, like, I don't know. The reason I made my display name Cassandra was because at the time I was, like I said, living in the UK and I was living in like a very liberal community and none of my friends, like I, I didn't really try to talk to my friends, but there were a few select people in my life who I did openly talk about my concerns with. And I kind of saw the writing on the wall with a lot of this stuff with like what was going on with the vaccines and the vaccine mandates and like kind of the whole illiberal nature of all of it. And there were a few people who were very close to me that I was like, okay, like I will at least be honest with them and try to like warn them or whatever you want to call it. And I just got totally dismissed. And I was just like, this is how Cassandra felt, you know, like, I, was like, <laughs> I don't know. It got to the point where I just felt so alienated and so impotent because it's like, I, like, I felt like I could see what was happening. And it's not to say that I'm always right or anything like that. I mean, I think that I'm right a lot, but you know, like I won't say that I'm always right. And like, you know, sometimes I've definitely been a bit paranoid and blackpilled and you know, that stuff might still happen, but not everything has happened. And I think, you know, credit to dissidents on some of that too. But, um, yeah, like I, I, it just got to the point where I just felt like I was like shouting into the wind and not being heard. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what black pilled me too, because I just felt like, oh my God, like you can like, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink that whole thing. And I just felt like, you know, there's people in my life who I really love and I really care about. And I really want them to understand like where I stand on this and why. And it felt like it just like, wasn't being understood or heard. We were just talking past each other and yeah, so like that was part of the reason why I ended up moving back to the US and just kind of like starting over because I was kind of just like, you know, I I can't, I felt like I was living a lie. And even with the people that I was being honest with, like I said, I felt like I was being misunderstood. So yeah, anyway, that like not to get deep, but that's like why I named awesome. it Cassandra. <laughs> that's incredible. I, um, you know, I can relate to that. And I think, yeah, it, it's like you kind of alluded to it earlier. There's like this programmatic thing that kicks in when you're associated with certain like very bad things. And it's just this whole like thought form, like this whole like formula goes off in the people's brains and they like, yeah, right. they can't, even if they know you, they can't, like I see it in my mom. I think my mom's like ashamed of me for being like anti it's like she's like what I think my stepmom is too and I love her and she loves me but like there are certain things that when I talk about it she just tenses up you can yeah. tell that she like squirms yeah. and she's uncomfortable and mm-hmm. she doesn't want to hear it and yeah that's how I felt with like you know the people that I had just mentioned the people that I was very close to and I wanted to talk about this stuff with I felt like all of a sudden I was kind of being seen as this caricature like I was being seen as like evil yeah. and bad and I like I wanted to kind of like shake them like metaphorically and be like but you know me, like we have had all these experiences together. You know who I am as a person. Like this shouldn't change things, but yeah. And then they'll they'll be like, oh, you're such a typical white lady. They'll like leverage like the worst things, like, like really evil. Like not obviously against me. I am not unfortunately a white lady or fortunately. Well, <laughs> well you're a man. So like, you know, I feel like white women, like men, like we're all kind of. I like to think of male to male transgender, actually. Like that's a really great <laughs> movement for me. I'm latching on to, but uh, but I'm yeah. Gender you. <laughs> I don't, yeah. Well, anyway, uh they they um oh yeah, I was like gonna say, just uh, they'll use the worst things against you, you know, they'll just kind of like and make it like it's kind of with like the trans thing, honestly. Actually, too, it's like I don't hate any trans person or any person's like choice to do whatever, but like how that got implicated as being like, oh, but then if you oppose this, like horrible rigid ideology that we are just making up on the fly clearly and have not thought about three seconds we're just like just being bullies about it like suddenly you're a bad person I know I I struggle with that so much like there are people in my life who are 
you know, they identify as trans or non-binary and like, I really like them as people. I don't have to agree with like their ideology. I don't have to agree with trans ideology, but I can still like them as people. And that is something that I've like struggled with is like, oh, is this person going to find out that I believe X, Y, and Z things about trans ideology and then think that I hate them. And it's like, no, I don't hate you. Like as an individual, I just hate trans ideology. Like <laughs> Exactly. And it, which unfortunately like is, I mean, they're not un- obviously not separated. I, I have this whole theory, but like, and it's not even my theory, but there's like, there's autogonophiles and there are like trans trannies, I guess. I, I like saying tranny. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Yeah. <laughs> I think it became one recently, but like, I'll just drop it. And so, yeah, I just feel like there's, I don't know, I think the real trannies need protection from these like freaks, these like really scary guys. And I didn't know like a lot about, like, I didn't get totally radicalized on this until I learned about like, um, like hypnification. And I started hearing these yeah, stories. Now, okay. Oh my God. Like, that was like my first red pill. Like, so like yeah. I said, trans stuff, rad femme, like all that was my first red pill. And I've been, so the reason I got into it, not to interrupt you, but I'm like so excited that you brought this up because like any instance to talk about this, like, just kidding. We're not doing that disclaimer. We're not doing that. Go. (laughs) The the reason I like even got into like radical feminism basically, or it was kind of around the same time was that I was like anti-porn and I was like anti-porn like way back in like 2012. And I ended up writing my dissertation for my master's that I did back then, like about like porn basically and like, like how like bad it is for your brain and for society and like whatever. And then, yeah, like because I was a rad femme and then people started calling me a turf like for no reason just because I thought gender was a social construct and that like it's okay if boys like you know play with Barbies and girls play with trucks or whatever like you know like normal stuff that people used to believe and all of a sudden that means that your kid is trans so I was kind of like okay no that's fucked up so then people called me a turf and so then like I was kind of going down rabbit holes and then I found out about sissy hypno and I was like holy fucking shit there are so many people on reddit and on like no fap, I felt like, you know, that meme, that Pepe Sylvia meme from like, it's always sunny where Charlie has like that whole board. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes. Like (laughs) that was me. Like I was like up until 3am on like the no fap subreddit, like reading about men's porn addictions and like, yeah, like so many people were saying that they thought they were trans because they watched this porn. And I was like, Oh my God, how are people not like, but you know, your average normie does not know that your average normie thinks that a trans person, that your average trans person is like a super gay man. So they're like, oh, well, I support gay rights. So why would I not support that? And they're not understanding that like, there's this huge swathe of trans people who are not gay. They're straight men. And a lot of them have major porn addiction and it's very sexual for them. And yeah. It's real. It's so real. And it's probably the, I mean, when you think about it, there were trans, there's trans, they didn't call themselves trans people. They called themselves transvestites or trans. There wasn't this transgender ideology. These people existed and they didn't need an entire ideological framework to navigate through life. Like they needed maybe more support and tolerance from society. Yes, I guess for sure. But like, they didn't need like, I don't know, a flag that never probably occurred to them that that would change everything. But like, then these people came along like, you need actually a whole liberation movement and it's just so weird when you start to actually unpack the history i don't know if you know like jennifer black or whatever 11th hour blog i don't know she money she's like tracking and like her her reporting i will send you some links it well maybe not it's dark because there's such a like a money i've read all of it so like honestly send it to me i've I've seen the darkest shit i've seen like the shit where like 
they still use tampons from like women's restrooms and like pretend that they have their period. Like, yeah. That's like, yeah, that is not, I don't think that ever really occurred to like a transsexual person like a, a, that in history until like probably like the last decade. I don't think that was part of the, and there was no such thing. You can't trans, I think trans kids, I think it's all the biological line crossing that really also, I guess, triggers me. And you can't have trans children. It just doesn't make sense. They are dysphoric by nature because that's called puberty. You go through a dysphoric process. So like, how do you unpack that? <laughs> No. And I remember like when I first became a radical feminist, I was like, like, that's why I was kind of baffled at first to be attacked as a turf. And I think that radicalized me a little bit more at the time, because at first I was like way more like, you know, sort of understanding about it. And this was before I went down like the rabbit hole that like about like autogenophilia and stuff like that. But like at the time I was like, okay, like if you have like sincere gender dysphoria, like I can empathize with that because it's society that did that. Right. So it's like, you know, I, I can understand that we're all operating under the same constraints in the same system. And it like, you know, you might feel deeply uncomfortable with your body. Sure. I don't necessarily think that like the solution to that is to like, you know, legally change your gender or whatever. Like that's a whole different rabbit hole. But at the time I was like a lot more kind of understanding about that. Whereas like, yeah, like with like the current like trans movement and how it's been like hijacked politically by a lot of these like terminally online, like essentially like sex pests. That, <laughs> yeah. Like it's it's harder now to be as empathetic as I once was because it's like, oh my God, because like the majority of them now, like not, not even necessarily, I don't even want to say the majority of trans people, but the majority of the vocal stuff that you see online, it's like, it's not indicative of like, I don't know, sincerely held like gender dysphoria. It's, I don't it's think a political it ideology. <laughs> I know for a fact, I mean, I know, of a, I know I have like, well, anyway, I know of a fact that there are based trannies out there not like, a, I'm not friends with the popular ones, but like, I know of low key secret ones out there that are like horrified, but what are you going to do? Like go against it's, it's the same thing as everything else. It's like, well, do you forsake your network that in some cases people need? Like, I know I can give up friends and kind of just not really family. I don't know. I'm kind of not making sense, but like um, they, they, you know, like they get kind of like they're between a rock and a hard place, I guess. There's a lot of people. Yeah. I, I totally get that, but they're, and it's, that's worse. It's like the capture. And that's why these people, I think a lot of people need protecting. <laughs> I, right, don't know. Like just like, I think a lot of people do just want to live their lives and be left alone. But then there's this super yeah. vocal minority that like, almost ruins it for them in a way. Like I was even saying that about the whole like Dylan Mulvaney thing. Like to me, it's so obvious that he like isn't actually transgender and that he's just a grifter. And I'm like, okay, so like, obviously I disagree with this on many levels, including like, you know, a women's level. Cause it's like obviously diluting like women's spaces and stuff. But I also feel bad for sincere trans people because it's like, like he's making them look all like they're just like fake grifters and it's like you know like regardless of what I actually think about like you know the veracity or whatever you want to call it about like the trans movement like there obviously are people who just sincerely want to live their lives and be left alone and this guy's making everyone look like insane grifters and by the White House, like, what the fuck? Like, why do you, I don't know. Like, it's just, it's insane. Like, going, he was invited to the White House, like, I think multiple times now to do, like, content with them. And it's just, it's so weird. And I find it, um, it's unappealing also because of it. It's like, it really is this idea that there's no social contagion. is so fucking ridiculous 
retarded. Like, of course, like it's just the, I don't know. It just, it's a lot. Like, I just see it. Like I see it through like family members that have like children and it's like, wow, this is pretty crazy. Like the things that they're enabled and like encouraged to identify well, as. Did you hear like on the pod, like not to keep bringing up this I, other pod, but like, this is a spin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was saying that he had like 50% of his class identifies as like non binary or trans. And like, this is kids. And it's like, and it's mostly young girls. And obviously, there is a huge social contagion with young girls. And I was saying that like at, when I was young, like I became anorexic. And part of the reason that I became anorexic, I was saying on that pod that like, health class like taught me tips and tricks about anorexia and I do think it did like I do think it plants the seed because it's like oh eating disorders are bad and I'm just kind of like oh you just taught me like some cool tips of how to like starve myself or whatever mm-hmm. but um, I was also on do you remember the blog site Zanga by any chance um I don't not off the top of my head but it was like one of the predecessors to Tumblr it was kind of like in like the early to mid 2000s And it was like Zanga and Live Journal were kind of like around the same time. And then Tumblr like came after. And so I had a Zanga and there was this huge uh, like number of eating disorder blogs on Zanga. And I think I started Zanga just as like a blog, like literally just like I think I wrote like poetry on it, like whatever. And there was a lot of like writing on there, creative writing stuff. But there was this huge intersection on Zanga of teenage girls who wrote poetry and really romanticized their mental illness or their depression and all had eating disorders. Mm-hmm. And I a hundred percent can tell you like with full clarity and self-awareness, that is why I developed an eating disorder. It's not to say like, I didn't have the seed in me, obviously, like, you know, not everyone is going to be exposed to something and immediately develop that thing. Like, obviously I probably had body image issues and stuff, but I did not have a full-blown eating disorder until I joined Zanga and saw all these other poet girls romanticizing their depression and their eating disorders. And then I was like, me too. And obviously teenage girls are super impressionable and teenage girls are also super uncomfortable with their changing bodies and being sexualized and all of these things. And I do feel like identifying out of femininity, identifying out of being a woman is like the new way to kind of deal with that. Whereas for me, like literally when I was 15, I was like dating boys and, you know, like I wasn't like having sex or anything, but I was like, you know, I had crushes. I had like desire, I guess. And once I became anorexic that entire year of being 16, I vividly remember I did nothing other than wake up in the morning, go to school, barely eat, go home and like literally do my homework and go to bed at like 7 PM. I did nothing. I had no social life. I had no crushes on boys. I had zero sexual desire. And I liked that because it made my life simple and easy. And Uh it's like, I don't know, like, obviously this is just my own personal anecdote, but I've heard similar stories from tons Uh of other women. And I just think that like now, yeah, this like opting out of gender is like the new thing. (laughs) It's really, it's so sad because that's, I'm sorry too. I'm sorry. That's like, I, oh no, this is not like a trauma thing. Like it was so long. I think it is. Well, I feel like there's, we live in this like trauma culture. Like Kanye did say it and he's honestly like right about everything. 
maybe don't stand by that 100%. Maybe I do. But I will just say that I feel like there is a lot of trauma that's exploited. Everyone goes through that. Like everyone goes through some degree of trauma at like this puberty time because it's a traumatic experience. Um, And having to, like, I think a lot of people have mental health issues. I think it's worse now and they exploit it. And it's like this extension of like, it's beyond cinema or video games where like those are already kind of like warping, like programmatic experiences. But like the social media, like the Tumblr of it, where it's just like literally Tumblr and it's just like constant stream of images and it's like it's hypnotic and you said romantic kind of like it romanticizes these things with it's like autogynophile or whatever or like um your eating disorder or being a nazi maybe that's maybe i'm not organically a nazi it's all an aesthetic like (laughs) you're you're creating an aesthetic and then you're getting validation from the people around you in your subculture so like for me like you know i wasn't like pro anna per se but i you know was in this anorexic group and then you know you get all these likes and all your posts it's it's all the same you know twitter tumblr all of it and so like you can totally see how like you know if you're a kid and like you're not getting attention and you feel misunderstood and then you join this subculture where all of a sudden like you're like unique or you're validated like it makes sense that kids get sucked into these kind of things and how especially if like teachers are telling you that it's like you know being straight and white and whatever is oppressive. And if you are, if you're going to opt into this minority group, then like people are going to be really nice to you because that's the thing. Like, it's like, okay. So like, yeah, they're saying that those are groups that are oppressed, but like the reality is in today's current society, if you opt into that group, then you're getting all of this like support and validation, whether from within the group or from allies or whatever. And I think that that's really tempting to a lot of kids. Mm -hmm. So you nailed it. I mean, you absolutely nailed it. And I think, yeah, you nailed it. Yeah. I don't know. It just, it's really crazy to me. I just feel like it's, it's, it's the fact that it's like reinforced, I guess, by corporate in America and by this teachers, you know, how, like you just said, um, and like, it just, and the fact that it comes through the, the, the Tumblr machine, like how organic is all of this? Like all this theory, like when I learned a lot about this stuff, a lot of it was still kind of theory. Like it was really, literally called like, I think it was still called women's studies actually when I was in college, it wasn't even like gender they theory. They changed yet. it while I was in college. Like, so I was in college like right during that time when like wokeness start, like started to emerge. Like when I started college, it didn't exist. I was literally called a dyke for being at a feminist march, like my first year in college. By the end of college, it was like everyone was in Paul. And yeah, so when I started college, it was women's studies. And by the end, it was like women's gender and sexuality studies. And now probably they've dropped the women's, like who knows? <laughs> yeah, that's really, yeah. It's, I don't know. It's just, I I like critical theory, actually. I think it's really interesting. It's useful to like look at the world through, but it's like not supposed to be, I don't think like, I don't think any of it should be applied to real life in like the way that it's being done. You know what I mean? Like, I get that gender is a construct, but you like taking these like kind of deconstructive like um, like discourses to the extent of like now we're going to take it against biology, we're going to queer biology, and now it's like oh it's a spectrum, and it's like no, it's not a spectrum. Like it's well, just- like my what I thought when I was a rad fem, and I still believe this. Like I, I don't believe all like the tenets of radical feminism, but like this still makes sense to me. That gender, like the trappings of gender, are you know the way that you dress and like the way that you're perceived masculinity versus femininity. Right. And so like, sure, those things are technically a social construct. Like if you were born on a desert Island, would you like paint your nails? Probably not. Like as like, if I'm a female, like probably not. So like, that's a social construct. Cause I've been like socially taught to do that to some extent, 
But like, yeah, my biology is like a reality. So like male and female is like a reality and masculinity and femininity is largely a construct. I've kind of walked back on that on certain things because I do think that like genetically, like like being a female like predisposes you to some things about femininity. And I think that when I was a rad femme, I didn't like, I was a little bit too black and white on it. But yeah, that's like kind of where I was at and it still makes sense to me broadly. Exactly. Really weird. Yeah. I want to read actually a couple of them and maybe discuss a couple of your favorite. Oh my God. No, I'm like flattered. <laughs> Is that crazy? Well, first of all, Twitter sucks. For, well, actually, that's because you're locked. I highly encourage you to unprivate. Just I'm unprivate right now. So I so I had been unprivate, but then Elon like fucked with the algorithm and none of my tweets were getting seen when I was unlocked. So then I locked and literally the second I locked, I was getting like 50 plus likes on every tweet. So basically what I'm doing, this is super cringe of me is like when I post, I lock. And then like a couple hours later, I unlock. (laughs) I'm going to try this out. This is fascinating. I saw you. Literally it works. Like it's crazy. And like, I wish it weren't the case and it didn't used to be the case. Like when I was unlocked, like ages ago, probably when you found me like last spring or whatever, like that was not the case, but Elon has just like done something fucked with the algorithm. So that's like what I'm doing right now, but I'm not locked right now. (laughs) Good to know. Good to know. Um, that's truth underscore enjoyer on twitter.com. If she's unlocked and you can find her, it does make the tweets difficult to f- search possibly, but maybe not. I don't know. I guess I don't know, but I no, feel- when, when you're locked, you can't search for tweets. So I can't even search my own tweets when I'm locked. Yeah. And I thought I was being so fancy. Cause like, I didn't know about, I don't know how I didn't know there was advanced search. I'm usually on my phone. I did like a fancy programmatic search and everything, like putting all the colons in and all the quotes. And it was just like not working. And then I somehow got, maybe you unlocked while I was doing it. Cause I was like, all of a sudden it did work. Anyway, um, the feminine urge to externalize your sadness. Elaborate. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I obviously like, I didn't invent the feminine urge format, but I feel like I've like, that's like my, my thing now on Twitter. I think I looked and I had like 47 or something feminine <laughs> urge tweets. So I was joking that if I ever start a podcast, it's going to be called the feminine urge. You heard it here first. You got it. I love it. <laughs> but, uh, feminine it. urge to externalize your sadness. Um, I don't know. I'm a four Enneagram, like I said. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we love melancholy and we love like leaning into like our sadness as an aesthetic. And I'm also a poet. <laughs> I hate identifying as a poet. So I always have to say it in a really sarcastic way. No, but, uh, you smoke cloves. Sorry. You smoke cloves. Do I smoke cloves? No. It's <laughs> like poetry. I don't know why. <laughs> um, I recently have like kind of vaguely taken up smoking, which is bad. And also for the aesthetic, I like, I feel like I meme myself into things for the aesthetic. But anyway, um, yeah, the feminine urge to externalize your sadness is like to make your sadness into an aesthetic and to make art. For sure. For sure. I love that. You know, Margot, do you like the Royal Tenenbaums? It's like one of my favorite movies. And Margot, like, compared to her, I don't know if you were going to say, like, but people, I wasn't, when you said secret, like, you didn't say secret smoking, you just said you were like, took up smoking, I guess, but like, I just got this, like, psychic flash of Margot Tenenbaum. I actually did smoke. Like, whenever I smoke, because I have like, kind of her hair and aesthetic, um, like, (laughs) not to like dox myself too much. (laughs) 
but like whenever, whenever I have a cigarette, people say I look like her. They don't say it when I don't have a cigarette. They only say it when I do. <laughs> I love this. And I I have this whole theory that like, yeah, it's good. You, it's good to manifest like an aesthetic and a vibe around yourself uh, because it's like an energy that's like spiritually pleasing. It's like self-mythology. Exactly. It's the cinema of everyday life. I have a whole, <laughs> whole theory. We'll not get into that now. But I do want to ask about the feminine urge to play meatloaf at the function. Is that the feminine urge? Are we sure? Well, <laughs> if any urge that I have is by default a feminine urge because I'm a win for the win. I love that. Wait, are you a meatloaf fan? That's I found that fascinating. I loved it. Oh my God. Yeah. I love meatloaf. And like last year, like when he died, like pro-vaxxers were being super nasty and oh, saying he died because he like wasn't vaxxed and like whatever and it just made me love him more because it's like I don't know like why he died like whatever but like I think that the stuff that he was standing up for that they were criticizing him for and celebrating and stuff for like he wasn't even saying like as far as I know anything mean about people who got the vax or whatever he was literally just against vaccine mandates and I'm mm-hmm. like that like okay so he actually has like true quote-unquote liberal classically liberal ideology about what people should do with their bodies good for him like uh, it's so disgusting Oops, oh my god i don't know if you can hear the horrible lmfao plane sorry i said oh my god, no. <laughs> it was my alarm is lmfao party rock anthem i don't it's only i have ringtone once upon a time um do you have like 10 more minutes or so is that okay or is like five more minutes like what's your oh my god uh, no literally like i have nothing to do so as long as you want to talk okay. to me let's <laughs> I just want to keep the episode sort of tight, I guess. I don't know. We'll, we'll just see what happens. Let me just go um, over this really quick. No, actually, wait, hold on. Meatloaf, um, I had one more question about it. Oh, no, the, the liberal urge to rejoice over your enemy's, like, death is just, not even your enemy, just over people who happen to just be right and you were wrong and you won't admit it. And, like, I had such a, that was one of the first tells of people losing their shit. And that was, like, before, that was maybe before TDS, I don't remember, but, like, saying what that people deserve to die and like people die like a republican dies or something like okay they were like okay sure he was bad like i don't know like it got really bad who was like colin powell Margaret Thatcher. yeah i don't know and it's like fine like shit on these report like these people fine but it kind of got worse and worse and now it's just like anybody who they marginally like disagree with when they die like the what's her name silk from or who died was it diamond diamond died from diamond and silk it was like i don't know just the way that they behave in general when people die it's just like don't shit on people when they die i feel like that's like the thing is like i feel like usually whenever like someone who's vaxxed dies (laughs) of like a heart issue and obviously it crosses my mind like was it the vax or whatever but i feel like i've been careful like to not you know be like weird about it but yeah there was like the one time what was it the woman who wrote julian julia that was yeah that was yeah yeah and she was like boosted and vaxxed and like yeah she had recently had covid but like people were like oh it's covid it's like okay so it's the same spike protein that she's been injecting in her body and so she she had more of it like okay it could be either like whatever but like the the reason i posted about that at the time was because i went back on her profile to look to see if she had posted about covid or the vax or anti-vaxxers or whatever and she literally was saying that like anti-vaxxers deserve to die like she was saying that brett kavanaugh was an anti-vaxxer and that therefore like he had COVID and he should die. And it's like, okay, like, I'm sorry, but like, that feels kind of karma. Like, I'm not, I'm not happy that she died, but it's like, if you're going to wish death on people, that's not good karma. Have you noticed it's like, 
a trend. Like I've seen several instances where somebody was like kind of toxic about anti-vaxxers, like in a way where it's like egregious, not even just like the normal for what was normal at the time, which was already egregious, but like saying things like what she said, there was a football player. Um, he died, I think the same day as that football player also happened to collapse. So I don't think it made as much news, but there was like, I've seen several where these people were media type people. Um, there's a New York times reporter. Gosh, there's been a lot. Oh, um, was that like Carlos, like, Tejada or whatever. Yeah, I think so. And he had been, like, I don't know. I just think there's a lot of cases where this has been um, and instances where it's like nasty and then they died. And it's just like, it kind of is a good reminder. Just like, I, I don't know, you can, you're going to die one day and your tweets are out there, I guess. It's a good reminder. <laughs> the other thing, I get that there's like nastiness on both sides. I'm not denying that. Mm-hmm. But like for me personally, and this is not to say that I'm like some fucking perfect angel, but like all my concerns about the vaccine, like all my friends and family are vaccinated for the most part. Yeah. So like I take no joy in like the vaccine being dangerous if it is, which I think it is. And like, you know, I don't want it to be in this entire time. I have wanted to be wrong. I don't want to be right. The validation is not sweet. The validation is incredibly bittersweet because it's like, okay, cool. I was right. At what cost, you know? Exactly. And I think there's like an engine, there's like an engineered fake version of that where it's like rejoicing, like where you see people being like, oh, the vaccinated are going to drop dead. Like, I know kind of like a weird frothiness. I don't see it a lot, but when I do, it feels oppy. I'm like, this is not a real person. And there's so much fake, fake, fake. Oh, for sure. There's so many bots on both sides and there's so much bait. Yeah. There's so much like, You'll see these tweets out there that's like from some account that was like made last week and they're like, so why did you not get vaxxed? And it's like, I don't, I'm not engaging with that. (laughs) My favorite thing now is like, oh, you don't know me because I was banned three years ago, but I'm back to like stand up for free speech. And it's like, really? Like, who are you again? Like, oh, it's just like, um, hey kids, like whatever that that meme from 30 Rock. It's just like, (laughs) how are you doing fellow kids? Hello, fellow kids. I was banned for three years. You don't know me, but I'm really big in the anti-vax world. I promise. I'm really based. (laughs) I'm super based, bro. Um, The feminine urge to drink red wine in a silk bathrobe. Um, I mean, I just think that that's like also that goes with the externalizing of the sadness. Not that it's sad, but it's just the aesthetic. They would be like a couplet almost. I could see them. I could see them going together. Oh my God, no. One of my mutuals today. So I, I posted like a text thread that I had with one of my friends and I was like talking, I was quoting like the national lyric and uh, what was it? Like, oh, you know, the national lyric standing at the punch table, swallowing punch. I mean, like from the beginning of Slow Show by the National. Anyway, so I I put like the masculine urge to stand at the punch table swallowing punch. And then I was like, yeah, like, sorry, if you're my friend, you're just going to get all like these workshop tweets like in, in your text messages or whatever. And then one of my mutuals commented and he was like, you need to write a book. And it needs to be like half masculine urges and half feminine urges. And I was like, you just like gave me the idea for my next poetry collection. <laughs> <laughs> I want to actually ask you about that. Like you have so, you have so many thoughts for a woman. It's really surprising as a man. I was always like raised to just not raise. I just came to these conclusions naturally as a man that you would not have many thoughts, but like you proved that wrong. Tell me about <laughs> brain. How does that work? Where do the thoughts come from? I I don't know. I'm just very neurotic. I just think constantly, like, I don't know. One of my friends was visiting me recently, my lib friend, but I love her, Mm -hmm. but she doesn't know I'm secretly based. So she'll probably cancel me if she ever hears this podcast. But anyway, um, she was like asking me if I'd seen like some TV show. And I was like, oh, I actually don't really watch TV, but I was like, I don't, I don't mean that in like a cringe, like, oh, I'm like so above TV. Like I'm online 24 7 like I'm like damaging my brain in other ways like you know she was like, oh my God, 
do you do if you're like not watching TV? And I was like, I don't know. I'm just like thinking about myself. And that was obviously a joke. And I was like, <laughs> into the trope of like, being a Leo. But I do think that I'm never really like, I'm constantly just like having my thoughts. And I never let myself like not be having thoughts. And Twitter is like the perfect platform for me because I can just like force them on the world. <laughs> Thank and God bless because it's, I, I actually, I, I marvel at your like, cadence and frequency i actually feel like i approached like a like truth enjoyer status recently and i don't know what i actually think it was, that a con- was when my friend was here so you like picked up oh. the torch for me. it was like psychic it was it was psychic because it, it left and i actually was like i was out in western new york with family and i came back to the city and i was like is it like the emf like clouding my brain because i was like was i just like able to think and actually because i was like i don't have thoughts like i actually like, was kind of joking earlier it's like you <laughs> don't unfortunately and so i was i just find it impressive um i so. joke so my like lib friends don't know that i have twitter and i don't really use social media that much like outside of my anonymous twitter so like the people that i know in real life don't think that i'm like active on the internet which <laughs> helps me because it makes me able to like pretend to be a normie so when they start talking about really like sjw like woke <laughs> shit i can just, like play dumb when really it's like i guarantee that i know more about it than they do <laughs> but um <laughs> But anyway, um, so I will literally joke around and be like, smooth brain, no thoughts. And like, yeah, but secretly I like have way too many thoughts. (laughs) And the Twitter world knows all of them. (laughs) They probably just think you're like up in like your attic or something, like working on like refining your poetry and your, your, your prose, but you're like, actually like just your, your shit. It's literally just Twitter. And it's so bad because it makes me think like, oh my God, if I spent like any amount of effort that I spent on Twitter, like on my actual writing, I would have like finished my novel by now, but instead I'm just like shit posting. I don't think that's how it works. Don't worry. You're, you're good. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, what, one or two more. Actually, wait, I have a really good one. From, I have a really good one that is your tweet. Um, the feminine urge to occasionally use your AC even when you don't need it because you live in Florida and you really want to wear a cozy sweatshirt. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just not from Florida. So for me, like, it's like a super novelty to be in this like vacation land all the time and like have palm trees, but sometimes you just want to wear a cozy sweater. But actually right now, I mean, obviously the listeners can't see me, but you can. I will um, this cuteness. I'm wearing a suede coat and a cozy sweatshirt because it's like 50 degrees yeah. right now, which is really cold for Florida. It's cold. I uh, love Florida as a like person who never went there for a long time. It, then had family there that moved. Uh, I thought I was going to retire there. My in-laws live. My in-laws like left Florida for the Northeast. No one does that. But anyway. Oh my God, no! You should come to Florida. Like Florida is based. Let's start a base community in Florida. Fort, Fort Lauderdale is like I don't know where you're based. I'm not commenting on that. But I love the South. Yeah, I guess it's southeast of Florida. It is. Oh my gosh amazing amazing paradise is jurassic park though in the suburbs it's a little scary i've seen some like reptiles and bugs inside the houses of oh yeah i've never seen any reptiles inside my house but they do have really big cockroaches here that they call like palmetto bugs just a fancy for cockroach yeah i've seen a couple of them in my apartment and i'm like oh my god and (sighs) I've, i've only seen them three times ever and i've been here for a year but i'm like 
there are more. I just haven't seen them. <laughs> but the first time I saw one, actually, I was in like I was in the guest room at my in laws with my husband. It's like just my guess, my partner at the time or whatever, I guess. And he, we saw one of the soap dish. It was bigger than the soap dish, though. It was huge. And he like ran and he like got really scared and then like closed me in the door, like bathroom sound, locked me in with the bug. Well, he went to go find his sister and be like, go kill the bug. <laughs> like, oh my God, his sister. And I was like, I mean, well, I killed it, but they were really gross to kill because like, I don't like to kill oh bugs. Oh my God, no. Oh, it traumatizes oh, me. Yeah, no, they have a skeleton. They're so big and they like twitch and they're horrible. But yeah, literally, like every time I've killed them, they've already been half dead because like there's like, you know, poison like in the apartment and whatever. Yeah. And I had to like do the honors of like finishing the job. And it's like, oh my God, it's traumatizing. Like I'm still traumatized by it. Like it haunts my dreams. Oh, I'm- anyway not to gross everyone out sorry everyone <laughs> no, it's okay. actually okay two more comments and then we're gonna wrap because it, we should just for brevity's sake and I, I i need you to help me with brevity i cannot with the my bloody. god but i'm the least like i'm the opposite of that i'm like the most wordy person of all time so i'm sorry <laughs> tweets are succinct i feel like you have a um... well they have to be because it's twitter <laughs> Well, yeah, but like I'm like always writing that red circle with the zero. Like I like to go full throttle. If they gave me a thousand characters, it would be a thousand word tweet. So I'm glad it's a lady. But you keep it nice and tight. So props. In fact, I feel like I think I I compared you to Joan Didion once. I don't know if that's even that like accurate style wise. But no, that was literally the best compliment I've ever got. Like I remember, like when I got that, I like literally told the person that I was with, I was like, "Oh my god, this person just compared me to." (laughs) That's strange. (laughs) Well, you are. You actually like, yeah, no, funny because you brought up that Yeats poem that like is the basis for her. Like, I was just reading. So I was in Sacramento recently reading her. uh, It's like notes from a native daughter or whatever about Mm -hmm. Sacramento, and it was like really annoying because I like love to hate on Sacramento. I know it's like such a great city just to trash because it sucks but then like I don't know like she kind of made me like it like I was just reading her that say there was I don't know there was just something like about I mean it's about how like Sacramento sucks now because it used to be better back in the like 1800s or whatever anyway thanks Joan I really appreciate that essay it was I love her so much like literally like you comparing me to her is like the biggest compliment so (laughs) I, I didn't even compare in that moment I actually was just talking to her as you, you are the avatar as uh, of Joan, as far as I'm concerned. Wait, okay, so I have to really quickly. How great is that Third Eye Blind album? You commented on that today, like that first Third Eye Blind album. Best song. What's your favorite? It's a like banger after absolute banger. And I feel like because what's his name? Like Stefan Jenkins or whatever. Like he's kind of cringe. And like, you know, like their other stuff like hasn't been as good. Although I do think that they have other good songs other than that first album. But like, I guess, you know, he's like kind of super capitalist about the band and he's like the front man and he kind of just like fires other people. Like there's been like drama around that. And so I feel like people love to hate them or think that they're cringe, but it's like, I'm sorry, I will die on that hill. That first album is like impeccable. It is just so good. It's a slice of 90s perfection. It's just, I would even go, I would say it's timeless because I feel like it it, like that song narcolepsy where it like just builds up and it's like so slow i love a song where it's slow at the beginning and it gets faster oh they really oh my, just, my favorites are the background and god of wine but oh, i love oh, all of it but oh. like the background is like oh my god for me so i'm like a hopeless like romantic again for a neogram i love to live in nostalgia i love to ruminate on the past and the background like literally thinking about carrying someone around in the background wherever you go i'm just like damn like inject that shit into my veins like i won't take the vaccine but i'll take that 
you're like delirian <laughs> kind of or something i feel like i don't even know if that's an appropriate reference um truth enjoyer it's been a pleasure. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm so glad. I have to say, like, when I was mandated by the heavens to do this, it really, you literally were like the first person. And I felt crazy. And I was like, this is like odd, but it was just like a, um, like one of those feelings. As a woman, you, you probably are familiar with the feminine urge to like form a parasocial relationship and or podcast with a person just to like interview them. I don't know, but um, I didn't. I did not just do this for you. I did it for the heavens. But you were the like one of the first people. I'm, no, I'm ramping, honestly, it's like so flattering to hear this because genuinely, like I said, and I we said I said this on Twitter, not on the podcast, but like I did not even really know that my tweets were like super resonating with people. Like I only have like 800 followers. I've been on private for most of this year. Like I've been on private for like nine months. Like I could have had a baby. I didn't, but I could have. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, like, I, yeah, so it's like, I, it's not like I have a huge Twitter account. So whenever I do hear from people that like my tweets like resonate or they notice when I'm not posting or whatever, like it means a lot. And like, it makes me like want to keep posting. So thank you. <laughs> well, you mean a lot to the nameless, formless network of uh, radical, um, I don't like radical, but I don't know, whatever we are, the, the insurgency of whatever distant thing that we inhabit. I feel like we're all just like cool people and we're fed up with the status quo and we just want to have fun. Like the Taliban. We're like the Taliban. <laughs> the Taliban. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. You um, <laughs> have wrong attention. Um, Truth and Joyer, where can people find you or can people find you? Uh, well, on Twitter. Yeah. At Truth underscore Enjoyer. If I am public, then follow me. And if I'm private, request to follow me and I will accept you.